We are here today with my friend, Sarah Gross, who I like to call the influencer marketing queen. And she is also the founder of Good CPG, which we will go into in this interview. Sarah, I'm so excited to have you here. Yeah. Thanks, Dalma. I honestly can't believe that we're here right now because I feel like I've known you forever and we've had a nice little glow up. So I can't wait to get into it. So let's start with a definition. I think influencer marketing can mean so many things. And we were just alluding to that right before we started recording. What is influencer marketing? What are people typically referring to when they say influencer marketing? It's like a funny term right now because it depends on who you're talking to and everyone considers themselves like a different type of influencer. It also gets really interchanged with creator. So you could be an influencer or you could be a creator too. There's different goals within influencer marketing or creator marketing, content marketing. Um, and that's how I really define different buckets. So you can have ambassador programs, which are usually people or a community that are just like the brands or the product's number one fans. Not always are they paid. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they get free gifts. There's UGC campaigns. I've been seeing that a lot on TikTok where creators or collaborators just send back brands content to repurpose. There's celebrity gifting, there's commission or affiliate programs, and then there's like more traditional influencer campaigns where you pay influencers to post. So yeah, there's a lot of ways to play the game. When it comes to just straightforward wanting a brand wanting to have an influencer post about the product, can you break down best practices around both doing it for a fee, so paying the influencer versus best practices around seeding product and kind of hoping that they're going to post for free? So let's break those two down and then we can go into some of the other ones because I think a lot of the brands that I talk to and work with, that's the first thing that they think about when they think influencer marketing, especially at the earlier stages. So let's break down what that looks like today. Best practices around each. I start every conversation the same usually. So most brands, when I work with them, they're not sure of their budget. So I'm like, okay, that's fine. You don't necessarily need a budget to pay influencers. Really what budget does is it eliminates the time factor. So the higher the budget you have, the less time you need to actually execute. And that's just something that you should think of going in and as like, a brand or a campaign manager, that's what you're sacrificing. And so let's say time isn't a factor, you don't need a budget. So what I would do is I would build a list of influencers that are super targeted. I have like my own set of tools that I would recommend. But yeah, if you're just starting out, you can go on Instagram or TikTok or YouTube. What I usually do is I go through and see who competitor brands are following or complementary brands or aspirational influencers. Because like the accounts that they're following are super, super targeted and most likely will be the same accounts that you want to reach out to yourself. So you build a list and then you just start a conversation like, hey, I'm Sarah. Tell them that you've discovered them on a specific platform. Give them a super, super boilerplate of your product or brand or maybe just like focus on your mission and like see if the influencer or content creator is interested in your product or your brand. Like if they don't align with it, there's no reason you should hit them with a hard pitch. But it also works kind of twofold where you're building a relationship with them and it's not just a transaction. You're not just paying them or even if you don't have intention of paying them, it's not just like another one in the bucket. So my number one recommendation would be start a genuine conversation and then have the influencer or content creator opt in and say like, yes, I want more information 
on the campaign that you have. From there, I usually say, you know, this is the products I w- would like to gift you. This is what we would like in return. Or if it's more of like a gifting campaign, I usually have deliverables a little bit more loose and ask the influencer like, hey, is this all right with you? Like, let me know your address. And so like, again, the conversation is super loose. And so if you're a brand that's starting out, if the influencer is okay and just accepting a product as a gift, then you're good to go send the product out. Or the influencer will let you know like, hey, I have a budget. This is my media kit or or rate card. Can we make something work? And so you can execute the same thing, whether you have a budget or not, the same way. And then from there, you negotiate. Again, if you know going into the conversation, you have a budget to pay an influencer, usually what I would do is I would adjust the subject line. I always email influencers. That way I can add a little bit of automation to the outreach. But I usually include a paid collab in the subject line. One, it usually gets higher open rates and definitely gets more responses if like an influencer knows that intending to pay them off the bat. But again, if you don't have a budget, You can just say something like interesting, customize the subject line, use their Instagram handle and the subject line so it it looks very targeted. Have a conversation and, and see if they'll be willing to work with you just as gifted. I can attest to the open rate thing with paid collab. If I see that, I'm clicking on that email. If I don't see that, it's probably going to get buried. So do you recommend, so when you say build a relationship, is there a way to build the relationship before you make that ask of, do you want to work together? Do you want to collaborate? Do you want to receive product? Because I feel like in an ideal world, you're kind of warming them up a little bit and then you hit them with the ask. But I also feel like that could be time prohibitive. So do you have any best practices around Like, let's say there are 10 to 20 influencers you really want to work with and you're willing to go that extra mile to cultivate a good relationship with them. Is there anything you recommend around that? Or do you think the best, most efficient process is just kind of hitting everyone with the same thing, but modifying it to tailor to that particular creator? I mean, if you have a specific dream list of influencers that you have all the time in the world to schmooze them, like follow them on Instagram, follow them on TikTok, comment on their posts, give them hearts on their Instagram stories, like show them that you're intentionally creating a relationship with them. Because I can tell you that most brands don't do this. Most brands are wanting to outsource their influencer marketing, especially if they're starting out. And they just don't have the time or the means to be that intentional with their interactions. But you can also do some things at scale that seem a little bit more personalized. So getting into like very tactical strategy, I use a tool called Mixmax. It's a Gmail add-on. And basically what I can do is I can connect any of my emails, like my email um, drafts to a spreadsheet so I can autofill anything. I can swap out their names. I can swap out their Instagram handles, their TikTok handles. If it's in a column on a Google spreadsheet, I can use it as a variable. So what you can do is you, you can create a variable for a personalized statement. Even though every influencer is getting like the same bones, you're swapping in that personal statement and you can do that yourself. You can sometimes what I'll do is I'll hire out a virtual assistant. So I'll, I'll say like, hey, make sure this whatever personal statement like fits into this block. So it looks like every single influencer is getting a a personal message, even though they're not really. And then also like some things that you can do, like sometimes if I'll send out an email blast pitching influencers, I'll do it on a Monday. 
And I'll include like, hey, happy Monday. I hope you enjoyed your weekend. Just like a little bit more like friendlier greeting that also is very specific to a time. If it's a holiday, I wish them like, hey, hope you enjoyed your holidays. Things like that you can do that are super simple. Really doesn't take any extra time that an influencer will. It'll make you stand out to an influencer a lot more. Yeah. It just feels more human and less cut and paste. And even if it is cut and paste, you don't want it to come off that way. And you definitely don't want... I love when I get the emails with like the janky formatting where my name is in a totally different format than the rest of the email. And it's like, come on, guys. That's really cringe. I'm like, okay, try a little less. Like, what? (laughs) Okay, really quick. It also works two ways because I get pitched sometimes because I have brand email. So sometimes I act as an actual brand. So it'll be like Sarah at brand.com. And they don't know the difference between like me as a freelancer or consultant versus like someone in house. And I get like, influencers pitching me. And I could just tell that it's just copy and paste or actually I was just talking to this one influencer and she's like, yeah, I'd love to do some UGC. And it was for a a protein brand that I'm working with. And her content is all like nail and hair. And I'm like, thanks for reaching out. I love your content, but I just don't know where the connection is. Like what? It is a two-way street. I mean, the spray and pray approach is just not that effective. So you're sacrificing conversion rates for top of funnel. Okay. So when it comes to putting together this list, what tools do you recommend that you said you like to use? And also how big should that initial list be? I know it probably varies, but what's the ballpark? Okay. I'll start with the second question first. Your list should, I usually do mine in groups of 50. Influencer marketing should be like a marketing strategy It's not like a one-time thing. Think about it as like Facebook ads, especially if your product is really expensive and it takes a lot to consider purchasing. If you work with an influencer once, you might get conversion, but you're more likely to get a conversion maybe like the third, fourth, fifth time they post. You can also think about it as if you work with influencers that have similar following, working with different influencers within the same niche, you're essentially remarketing the same person or the same audience, even though you're working with different influencers. And so that's why I batch it in groups of 50 influencers, because that's why I can A-B test my pitch. I can swap out my subject lines. I usually don't nail it the first time. It takes a little bit to see what's really interesting to the influencers. So yeah, batches of 50. I also can create different niches and like title that batch of 50 influencers to the niche. I'll build a list of 50 mommy influencers and they might get different messaging than 50 beauty makeup influencers just to like create a little bit more personalized messaging, even though it's at scale and bulk. So yeah, batches of 50 and it's like a a weekly task for me. So at the end of the month, you can reach out to 200 plus influencers. In terms of tools, honestly, like the best tool that I would recommend is just like using TikTok and Instagram or like even YouTube and like natively going through the competitor or complimentary or aspirational accounts and looking at their following. It's very manual, but you can always hire an assistant. You can even work with people offshore that offer really, really cheap hourly rates. But there's other tools like, let's see, Heapsy is pretty affordable. How do you spell that? Um, H-E-E-P-S-Y. I haven't used them. I like literally personally only use Instagram and TikTok directly, but they're good if you just don't have a lot of time. And then also a plug for myself. I help brands build influencer lists. And so I would love to help anyone out. It's a tool called influencer.kitchen. Nice. Okay. So how do you vet influencers? How do you make sure they have good engagement? What, what are some things you look for? Is there a way to see if they have fake followers? How do you vet them? 
Yeah. So like the first thing that I would do is just remember what your KPIs are. KPIs, key performance indicators. If I am looking to run a campaign and acquire UGC, I don't care about their metrics. I only care if they have beautiful content. However, if I'm doing an awareness campaign or a campaign for revenue to get like the highest ROI, that's when the metrics come in. Or you could say like if you're starting out, your goal should be like how efficient you're recruiting influencers because you're most likely not going to nail it the first time around. It's a long game, not a fast and short one. And so things that I look at are one, I always ask like, hey, what are your impressions on Instagram stories? I think that that's how influencers create real connections with their followers is if they're constantly on Instagram and sharing Instagram stories beyond just like resharing their content. I want to see them talking to their audience, sharing random things in their life. I want them to share like other products that they absolutely love. So yeah, I pay attention to Instagram stories. And then also just in turn, like general recommendations, reels are more of a discovery placement than a place to nurture your audience opposed to like Instagram, like in feed posts. And so if my goal is to acquire more customers, I want the content to be exposed to as many people as possible. And so that's why I would want to do a reel or a TikTok that's more discoverable than an in-feed post. And so I would just like consider what their impressions are, what their engagement is, and then also like what your goals are. Something that I also look at is like every once in a while, especially if it's like a gifting, if I just gift a product to an influencer with like no expectations, I'm like, okay, no worries. It's like, I don't know, five bucks for shipping, 20 bucks cost of goods, like not that expensive. But if I'm paying a big influencer, what I always do is look through their comments. It's like pretty clear if it's like a bunch of emojis. I try to stay all the like away as much as possible. If the people who are commenting or even liking has weird Instagram like handles themselves or um, handles that usually sets off a, a little flag saying like, hey, maybe they're bot accounts. And then it's something else that's happening too. And it's been happening for a long time. I just don't think a lot of people have been talking about it as an engagement pod and people are getting way, way, way smart about it where like an engagement pod is when a creator or an influencer shares a post and they have a group, a, like a messenger group saying like where they can share their content, their links to their content and everyone is required to engage with it. So they might say like, love your teeth or love your smile, but you're talking about a bag and the comment looks real. Whoever is commenting is real, but it just like doesn't have anything to do and it's like too positive or you can kind of like tell it's not real honest comments that are coming and I try to avoid that as much as possible and like even people with blue check marks are still involved with this it's like you can't trust anyone and I think that just comes back to the importance of just spending a lot of time on these platforms being really native looking at these different influencers and just getting a feel for these little cues because I imagine that you've fine-tuned your radar for these things just because you've been all up in those comments for a while. Yeah. Also something that I feel like that's not talked enough about is influencer marketing is not like the end-all be-all. It's such a good testing platform. So if your content isn't like if your Instagram page for your brand isn't performing well or doesn't get a, a ton of engagement, like work with some like weird micro influencers and like see how content is working for them, like give them product, maybe pay them a little bit and see if they have some engagement for themselves and then repurpose that for yourself. Also with like promotions and discounts, it's not the end of the world if you give like a single influencer like a 50% discount to share with their audience because the worst thing that you'll do is acquire customers and then you can upsell them into real advocates. 
And it's yeah. literally only one person that's doing this or like one person that's sharing a specific discount. So yeah, it's a really good testing platform. That's a good point. I think it's important to think about the full funnel and how influencer marketing is situated in that instead of just trying to use it as a silver bullet. Yeah, that's exactly what the brand Parade is doing. I'm like convinced they're losing money off of their influencer marketing like first purchase. But when you get a, a pair of underwear for them, they give you two cards that look like gift cards. And it's literally just discount codes to share, like to literally hand it to your friend and say like, hey, here's a $10 off gift card to Parade. Try it yourself. It's the viral aspect to their influencer marketing is offline, which is super interesting. But yeah, that's that's how they get people to continue talking about them and purchasing. Your deep dive into Parade's ambassador program was so thorough and so rigorous that I'm convinced you could just probably create a TikTok page just devoted to like breaking it down in a series. Oh my God. Like it's so good. I totally should. Let's talk about influencer following size. So let's say you're not just looking for UGC. You want either brand awareness or conversions, but you are a brand that's maybe earlier stage or has a limited budget. What size of following should you be targeting? How should you be thinking about that? So one thing that I would recommend is I would go through your followers. Maybe you can send out an email blast to any of your email subscribers or past customers and just seeing if you have any advocates in there because it doesn't matter if you are like 100 million followers or 10. If you have a true fan, they're willing to partner with you and like genuinely advocate for your product and brands. And so that's the first place where I would look. Beyond that, generally I've seen a sweet spot between like 3,000 followers up to about like 75, 80,000 followers. This is more specific to Instagram. Anything above 80, I feel like the rates influencers have been sending me are like a little bit crazy. Yeah, and then also like TikTok is a whole different world because I feel like one post goes viral and they acquire so many followers. And unless they can recreate that virality, their followers are just there and you'll see like a big spike in engagement all of a sudden a drop. But since followers are static, if you pitch an influencer, they'll give you their rates for their following, not their engagement. And so I wouldn't say there's a necessarily like a sweet spot for TikTok because it's really just a testing ground. But an interesting strategy that I've been seeing on TikTok is actually like having ambassadors create new pages. So they have literally zero followers. They use maybe your brand or your product's name in their new Instagram handle. Because I think like TikTok, it's a weird algorithm. But the first post that you share has the highest potential to go viral just because it's figuring out its place in the algorithm. You definitely are like way deep into TikTok, TikTok queen. But um, that's what I've been seeing is you just get a, a better shot if you're a new account and it's just trying to figure out your best placement in the algorithm on TikTok. I have noticed that. I think that also TikTok is a giant algorithmic casino and they want to incentivize you to get hooked onto the platform as, as a creator. And so they do like to give you that sort of little boost in the beginning. Also, what I've seen is that most accounts kind of find this baseline that isn't always correlated with their number of followers. So you might notice two creators with the same number of followers might have very different default numbers of views. It's important for brands to look at that as well. The other thing that I've noticed brands do is for TikTok, they will take like the last 10 or 12 posts for a creator and just average out the views there just to get a sense of, okay, if you factor in both the viral posts and the regular posts, how much how many views are they getting? So I think that's also important. But I also think that beyond views, 
engagement is really important on TikTok, really high save rates or share rates, right? Like those are the things that you also need to look at. I wish there were an easy way to just crunch those numbers and get the ratios, but like how often are people saving and sharing that creator's posts I think are good for TikTok. Yeah. Actually, a friend of mine created like this dark webby kind of weird hacky Chrome extension called Talk Audit. Basically, what you can do is when you have it installed, you can go on anyone's TikTok page on on desktop and it will rearrange their content based off of their most engaged or like highest impressions first. And so you can evaluate like what kind of content works best for them. And then also like you can see if their most viral piece of content was shared like three years ago, that doesn't reflect their true engagement and their true following. That's so good. I need to download that because I even feel like creators don't always know sort of the trends among the viral content that they post. Like I know it at a high level, but seeing it all kind of laid out could be really good. So thank you for the gray hat, black hat, dark webby <laughs> share. <laughs> That's what we're here for. How do you suggest brands think about working with creators as far as one-off posts versus long-term? Because I do think that what you were saying about, you know, sometimes you want to do several posts with a creator because there's that marketing stat, right? It takes seven touch points to really get somebody to convert. And I think that also translates to influencer marketing where it's just going to be more effective if that influencer has time to really prime your product or your brand to their audience. But at the same time, there's the question of, budget and whatnot. So do you have a general sort of rule of thumb or do you have any recommendations around that? So whenever you're working with an influencer or creator, you don't know how it's going to perform. And so usually I ask for a few placements. So let's say like maybe two sets of Instagram stories and maybe a reel or a TikTok just to see how their audience engages with the content. And then like in the conversation, what I would say is like, hey, this is the first of hopefully many collaborations, depending on if your audience really connects with it and you enjoy our product. Influencer marketing has to be a two-way street. Like both you have to enjoy working with the creator. It's actually like a three-way street. So you have to enjoy working with the creator. The creator has to like working with you and enjoy your products. And then the third way is their following has to also like your products too. So that's one way. That's a very like paid structure. That's how I would go about it if I'm paying an influencer. If I'm not paying them, I would say like, hey, incorporate this into your daily routine and just don't even give us a shout out. Just flash the product and people will associate, eventually associate you with the product. And, you know, after maybe like the three weeks of them like using your hair care or randomly having your product in their fridge and when they make their breakfast every morning. And then all of a sudden they can say, I've actually been using this for X amount of days, X amount of time, X amount of weeks. And I genuinely love it. That's when it turns into more of an acquisition play. And then all of those like free kind of like mentions are so subtle, but it really works. I've had so many people tell me that they um, have tried perfect bars because I won't shut up about them. I talk about them so much and it's all free advertising for this brand. You know, what's tragic is I even placed this big order online for the first time because I usually buy it in store and they lost it. Like I haven't found it and I haven't had time to contact customer support, but I was like, this is very ironic because they're losing my order. So I lost money with them, but I have driven so much revenue to that brand. No. Yeah. I don't know. Like, it's funny. I bet you they just don't have the capabilities or like they don't have someone dedicated to it. It's funny because I also think like generally brands lose a lot of opportunities just because they don't have the bandwidth 
or it's just not the thing is it's not our focus these days they're focusing on channels that guarantee them an ROI I'm like you don't if it's like gifting who cares like you're already a super fan you'll probably be like a super fan times five they mm-hmm. ended up giving you, I don't know, a month's worth of supply and that'll cost them maybe $100 cost of good. And yeah, silly. Yeah. Missed opportunity. Perfect <laughs> bar. I hope you're listening. And also email me. Okay. So um, <laughs> more questions about <laughs> more questions about paid partnerships. So when it comes to negotiating price, I know it's such a wild west out there and it's really hard to say this is sort of like the benchmark you should be thinking about or this is a good rule of thumb. But how should brands know when an influencer is quoting something that's too high? What's a good range or what's a good ballpark, especially for these more consumer-driven brands, right? Because I think I'm more of like a B2B creator and I talk about businesses and I work with software companies for the most part who are my brand partners. So I feel like that changes things a little bit. But for this consumer space, what would you say are some good benchmarks? So I'd say like 99.9% of the time, influencers give rates that are just way too high, especially if they have a manager because the manager has to get paid also. And so that's usually incorporated in like their fee that they quote you at. So what I usually do is again, like it's based on your KPIs. And so if you have a campaign based on content, how much are you paying per piece of content? And does that align with what you would normally pay as like a cost of the photo shoot. If it's completely off and you're paying like 10 times more for an influencer than you would an entire shoot, no go, not good. And that's kind of your benchmark. If it's more of a performance, it's hard to work with influencers only on an affiliate basis if they're not sure what their audience, if their audience connects with your brand. But usually what I do is I see if I can align it with CPMs that you're seeing on like Facebook or TikTok for paid media. So if you're running any meta ads, what are your CPMs? And then does that align with the influencer's cost? I just go on Google and search like CPM calculator and I can literally like plug and play what their rates are. And I always ask what their impressions are for the specific posts that I'm asking for. So what are their Instagram story impressions? What are like reels you can see, but if they're posting in feed, like what are their in feed impressions? Do all those calculations based off their average and see like what their like expected CPM is. Sometimes I get really great CPMs. I'm like, great, no need to negotiate. If your content is consistent, then it should perform well in terms of like impressions doesn't guarantee revenue, but that's what I I would do. And then also like there's other things that some influencers, I would pay a premium if they're like a doctor or they're a professional athlete or they're a celebrity. If they have like a certain tier, I'm willing to give them premium CPMs. Or if they're like a content creator, incorporate like an hourly rate in it. And that's how we meet in the middle is like, okay, I'll pay you for your extra title, your extra professionalism, but it has to work for both of us. And it's okay also just like saying no to influencers. Influencers will definitely say no to you. So yeah, it just has to be mutual. I know you said that, especially on Instagram, you kind of want to go for the sub 80K influencers, at least in the beginning. But what about brands that want to just experiment with, there's this one really big influencer, they have 500K, a million followers. We feel like they'd be a really good fit. We have some budget, How do you recommend thinking about that? Because it does seem higher risk, higher reward, right? There's one tactic that usually stumps people. And depending on the answer to this specific question, I would consider like a larger partnership is, have you tried the product yourself before? And that's 
stumps every single influencer that charges me 10 grand per post. I'm like, but have you even tried it? How do you know you like it? And so that kind of like gets your foot in the door and like, hey, let me just send this product to you just for you to try, especially if they've never tried it before. And then let's talk about a paid collaboration. And so usually like in the interim, maybe an influencer will actually post about your products because they're wanting to work with you and like they know it's going to be a big paycheck. It's not guaranteed and you can't repurpose the content because you don't have the content rights. But that's like usually a good, I forget the word, but it's a it's a good meet like scale to to see if an influencer is just considering you as like a transaction, a paycheck, or they're going to go the extra mile. And like, that's what you want from influencers that you're giving like a literally like some people's yearly salary to one post. So yeah, that's what I would consider. I would say like maybe try working with like more micro influencers in the same niche first. It's like a better testing ground. It's a safer, less risky testing ground instead of just jumping in. I do see a lot of flops in influencer marketing, especially with like it's devastating for some brands if you cash out thousands and thousands of dollars and they just don't convert. One other thing though that I would recommend is if you are paying a big influencer, just make sure that you're acquiring content rights. That way you can repurpose it for paid media and ads. So even if it's not a winner organically, you still have a chance to push some budget behind it. And then also a third way is, especially with the macro influencers and celebrity endorsements, is see if you can partner with them on Spark ads or whitelisting. This is when you acquire their business manager on the back end so that you can boost their content. So you can dictate the exact audience that's seeing it. And then also you can add some call to action buttons. So like a link to your website, a link to the product page, an interesting tool that I've been really testing out with. It actually creates dynamic landing pages with the influencers UGC on it. That also attaches like the product that's included in their content. Um, and so that's like super high converting. What's it um, called? And it also, that's called super affiliate. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah. And like that way it's essentially a guaranteed win. Like there's everything going for you and like you don't have to be, sorry to say it, like a bitch to the algorithm. <laughs> Got it. Okay. So to your point about sometimes influencer marketing is a flop. How do you know when it is working for you and when it's not working for you? Yeah. I mean, influencers can do so much. They can only, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Like if your website just is shit, if it takes too long to load and people just like lose interest, like waiting, you're just not ready for influencer marketing. Also, there's like some things brands can do to help them optimize in terms of zero conversion rate optimization um, using tools like Klarna, Afterpay, Affirm that do split payments. So if your product is really expensive, you can still attract a wider audience because it's less of an, an investment over time, even though they're still paying the same amount. But like generally, I just like check in with the brands that I'm working with, like, hey, how are you feeling? Like, are you liking this? And sometimes I think it's a shit campaign or like I'm honestly just doing what they're telling me to do because they're like, we just want you to do this. I'm like, okay, I will do that. And if they say they like it, they like it. But I think I think the biggest mistake that I see that makes an influencer or creator campaign not successful is just going the extra mile and repurposing the UGC. If they tag you on an Instagram story and you're not reposting that, like what are you doing? It's content that you've, it's either free or you've paid for it and you're just not using it to the best ability. Using it on your product pages, especially if it's like a clothing brand, showing like UGC with real people wearing your products, having influencers be uh, like ambassador spotlights in your emails. That's like an awesome way to create a deeper connection with an influencer, get their page in front of more people. And then also maybe encourage your current audience to reach out and become ambassadors. 
And then the last thing that I think is just like a guaranteed win and like always a success is when you work with influencers and they tell you how great your product is and they really love it. And brands are not asking for product reviews. It's just like such a miss because that's like one of the biggest deciding factors, at least for me, is especially a product that I have no clue. I've never seen them before. Like someone is giving them a mention on Instagram. I always jump to the reviews and say like, I know this is an ad, but the real people like it. And so they've tried your product. Influencers want to be on your good side. They will give you good reviews or they'll just share that they won't. But yeah, it'll increase conversions. I'm guessing tenfold if you have a hundred reviews versus 10 and maybe like 90 of those reviews are from influencers. No one knows the difference. For content rights and usage rights, what do you recommend as a benchmark for, is it a percentage of the fee? Is it like, what would be normal? This might be controversial. If you like talk to a creator, their opinions are going to be totally different than a brand. I think if I'm paying an influencer, it's really unfair to not give the brand full content rights in perpetuity. They're paying for sure your audience that you've built, but also like it's it like needs to work for the brand financially. And so if you can't generate sales, especially if you at some point have some like fraudulent engagement or fraudulent followers, if you've done giveaways, if you've done engagement pods, that should be standard giving content to brands, not for free, but like included in the rates. What I normally do is I would negotiate with an influencer and I lock down rates for content rights off the bat. Even if I don't use it, I don't pay for it. But if the influencer for some reason blows up overnight, they can't come back to me and say like, actually, I'm going to charge you an arm and a leg for this. So at least I have it locked down. Yeah. Sometimes influencers will charge like a few hundred bucks more per month. That's fine. But also there's, I feel like there's ways to negotiate with influencers, making sure that their handle is included in the creative. If you're repurposing it for like an ad, usually they'll drop down their rates because you're also promoting their content. Also with whitelisting, it's a lot easier to negotiate like, hey, we're willing to get more eyeballs to your page. No worries. But for that, we would like a better rate for doing this. So when you are seeding product and when you're sending out a certain number of free products every month to influencers, what is a reasonable ballpark of how often or what percentage of the time they should be posting? Like, how do you know when it's working for you? Yeah. I mean, consumable products are really simple. I just check in with the influencers and say like, hey, need some more product because if they use it, it, it'll be like a good sense of you if they're actual like advocates and they really like your products is they're going to want refills. Food and Bev is pretty common as a consumable, skincare, cosmetics, some home good products too. But yeah, just checking in and, and seeing if they like need refills or another way to re-engage with influencers is if you come up with like new products, if you have new promotions, just say like, hey, want to try this new product? Hey, we're doing our biggest sale of the year. Just wanted to let you know in case your following was interested. And that way you can passively get more mentions. I honestly forget what the original question is, but that's what we're going with. Is there, well, have you noticed a, an average percentage of the time that people post after you gift them product? Okay, gotcha. I would say straight gifting is closer to like 50 to 60% completion rate. So that means like 50%, 50 to 60% of the influencers that I see product will actually go ahead and post. However, usually those influencers post more frequently. So it, it compensates for the ones that don't post. But it's all about like, it's all about the follow-ups. Like 
checking in. Hey, did you get your product? Did it deliver? Like, did you have a chance to use it? What do you think? If they don't post about it, your conversation with the influencer should be like, no worries if you don't post. But if you don't, my expectation is you need to give me feedback on why. Is there something about the product that you don't like? And then if anything, it's more customer research for you as a brand. That's the most affordable customer research you'll ever get. Let's see what we can cover about uh, ambassador programs. So what are some best practices around setting up the right ambassador program? Yes, the best ambassador programs are usually, I like to think about it as like circle marketing. Let me explain that a little bit. So going back to Parade, I think they're one of the best ambassador programs ever. And they do campus ambassador programs. And so what their org chart looks like is they have, I don't even know how many people in-house they have, but let's say they have 20 people that are in-house working at Parade that are ambassador managers. And so what they do is they go and they divide and conquer different campuses, like college campuses. Let's call them tier one managers. What they would do is they would go out and find tier two managers. So they would select maybe one to three people per campus and say like, hey, we want you to be our feet on the ground and really set up flyers and do tabling for us, throw parties for us. And they have higher incentives to accomplish these things. It could be more products. I think some of them get paid and it's usually based off of performance. So those are tier two. And then those ambassadors are recruiting tier three ambassadors, which are their friends, so that whenever they do throw an event, they have people to show up. They might get free product, like the tier three ambassadors, they might get free product, but only if their discount codes are used. They're not just there to get free stuff. And so that's the best, hands down the best ambassador program I've seen that is also efficient. Essentially, they have 10 people that they pay full time to acquire like the entire country's worth of campuses. What is the definition of brand ambassador program these days? Because I know that might be kind of um, a simple question, but I feel like the way you're describing it begs the question of what are all the ways that ambassadors can be compensated? Is it always through affiliate commissions? Is it just through being part of the program or any kind of like perks or swag? Like what, how would you define ambassador program and what are all the different ways that brands can incentivize joining it? I would say like, Ambassador and advocate are interchangeable. So anyone who is an advocate for your brand or your product that you can communicate with and keep in touch with in a more intimate setting, that should be your ambassador. That's how you should consider your ambassadors. I think events are such a good way to activate ambassadors. And that can be a perk of being an ambassador is that they Maybe they get to throw an event. Maybe they can, maybe the perk is attending an event, especially with IRL activations popping up a lot more frequently. That's how brands are engaging with ambassadors. But yeah, it's it's usually just like advocates. A lot of people that already are customers or they highlight, like they follow the brand. That's who I would consider an ambassador. I feel like Lululemon has elite or like, you know, high-end ambassadors where they might pay them or, you know, it's, I guess the simple answer is it's, it means anything to anyone depending on what you want. <laughs> There's no good answer. There's no bad answer. Most brands, it's just like another word for community as well. When a brand is setting up their ambassador program for the first time, do you just recommend going through their existing followers and customers, um, sending out invites to the ones that seem particularly engaged with the brand, and then and then what? Yeah. Oh my God. There's so many ways to identify ambassadors. So you can either like actively 
go through your followers and cherry pick the ones. You can also like just post on Instagram, say like, who wants to be an an ambassador? And then link out like a Google form or, or what Parade does is a type form. Easy. And then it all automates from that end. What you can also do is send an email out to your subscribers, your past customers and say, hey, we're building an ambassador program reply to this email or again, drop the link to a form or like a campaign and your work there is done. I've been seeing brands run ads to acquire ambassadors and they can either run ads targeting their current followers, knowing that your content is probably reaching about like 10 to 15% of your audience that's following you. So they're just engaging with their following a little bit more through like a paid effort, or you can like expand beyond. Um, If you're like a smaller brand and you don't have that big of a following. You can put it on your website. So including like a a pop-up that people can apply to be an ambassador, do it in a static banner, add it to your header, your footer. And again, it's all links to an application page. And I would recommend an application one, so you can collect information about your ambassadors. Some things that I do is like, what's your birthday? So when their birthday month comes around, you can give them like a little bit of a surprise and delight. Or you can ask them questions like, what are your interests? What are your hobbies? Are you a specific professional? Like what information would help you as a brand to identify like different niches or different information about the audience that is coming in? You can auto approve everyone, especially if there's no risk and you don't have a lot of bandwidth to like manually go through and see who all of these applicants are coming from. Or you can like hand, it also gives you a chance to like hand select only your top whatever percentage of applications if you want to be a little bit more intentional on rolling it out. But yeah, there's so many places where you can offer your current audience uh, like a bigger part other than just being a customer. And besides just getting to be part of the program, part of the community, part of the brand, what are they getting? Is it typically affiliate commissions? Usually they get um, a discount, maybe not even a commission from it, but like usually it's an exclusive discount better than what is like a brand's normal welcome offer. So if you're offering 20% off for like if you enter your email for your first purchase, ambassadors will have a 25% discount that they can share or they can use themselves. You can also do like flash promotions with them too. So like upgrade their discount to 50% off, but only for 12 hours. And so like that's an acquisition funnel ASAP. All of those people, they have 12 hours. They can't think about it. They just have to purchase. And it's only available for the ambassadors and their the ambassador community. Sometimes it is commission. Usually what I would recommend is like if an ambassador asks for it up front, like have that conversation. But again, use it as a surprise and delight. If an, if you see an ambassador's code is converting really well, then offer them commission just knowing that they're going to stay interested. Sometimes it's free products. Sometimes I've seen like brands include like small like Facebook groups or Instagram groups where they get access to products that haven't even launched yet. They can be a part of that discussion. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to activate ambassadors. That's great because you can really have a lot of flexibility with it. You can design it in a way that's right for your brand. It's like having an army of salespeople basically for your brand. So who is it right for? Do you ever have moments where brands come to you and say, we want to set up an ambassador program and you say, I don't think it's quite right for your brand or you're not there yet. Who's it right for? Who is it not right for? I would say generally it's worth brands like at least trying it. Like if you don't necessarily have to have someone on your payroll advocating for your brand. It's a no brainer for me. I mean, sometimes it might be difficult for products that you only buy once a couch brand. It might be difficult to find ambassadors because I have a single one of their products in my house. And I'm probably not going to be a repeat customer until I 
I need a new couch. I don't know. But in that case, I would take the idea of an ambassador and turn that into like maybe a tastemaker. So it's essentially the same thing, except it's kind of like a little bit elevated where maybe this influencer loves your products. They advocate for you, but they also connect you with other brands as partners. And so you can leverage those complementary brands through a similar advocate. Actually, a little tip that I totally forgot to mention is like brands getting into influencer marketing early on. Do collabs with other brands so that if you're working with an expensive influencer, the cost of it is 50% off. It's almost like influencer marketing, but the influencer is another brand that's complementary to yours. Exactly. How do you recommend doing that? Is it sort of like giveaways? What are the different ways that brands can collaborate with other brands? Yeah, giveaways is super easy. It's like pretty straightforward, offer free product for a winner. You can set up like a landing page to collect email addresses or phone numbers. If that's too difficult, just collect different comments and engagement on your posts. That's one way. Or you can kind of like strike a conversation with a brand that's complimentary just on the side and be intentional on your conversation with them and say like, hey, we are doing influencer marketing. We would like to partner with you. Step number one, I would say is just like send your influencer list to each other or like send the addresses of your influencers to each other and just do a surprise and delight campaign where let's say I am brand A and I gift all of brand B's influencers my product and brand B gifts all of their all of my influencers their products. That way I'm assuming like the influencers are going to be super excited and they might just post organically. Mm-hmm. That's easy, that's free. You can also think about this in terms of like email collabs and just drop a discount like an exclusive discount in my list like email list about the other brand and they would do the same. But then also like once you have that partnership established, what you can do is say like, hey, there's this influencer that I really love. They cost 5000 I think we have a similar audience. Like let's go, let's do this together. If you're willing to pay 50% of this, we'll pay the other 50% and get the same placement. That's so smart. These are such creative things that I would never have thought about. I also really love it when brands, I mean, this is more involved, but let's say like two brands are really complimentary. You have very overlapping audiences, collaborations between them where you have a specific product or a specific collection that's sort of like exclusive or or limited edition. I think MEJ and Jorf Avenue did that really well. That's an example that's top of mind. If it's really a good fit, I think that can be a really compelling thing. And then let's say you do go have these on like a big influencer, that could be like a fun way to give them sort of like one product or one collection. Totally. Yeah. Fly by Jing is literally crushing it with brand to brand like product labs. I see them everywhere. And it's not just their own product. It's like fishwife and this and this and this. I'm like, who does your partnerships and how do I become their best friends? <laughs> You're pro- well, they have to watch out. You might poach them. So. <laughs> <laughs> this is pulling from some of the Twitter questions. At what stage should somebody think about setting up an ambassador program? I think ASAP. Well, if you think about the digital landscape and like digital marketing landscape, consumer brands are having a harder time getting funded it just because of the economy. And maybe we're in a recession, maybe we're not, but it doesn't matter. Like investors are only investing in brands that are no brainers. And so if there's any question, if you're going to be successful or not, if there's any sort of risk, it's a no instead of a maybe. And so that paired with a more expensive landscape for like Facebook ads and like meta ads, it's just hard for brands to acquire customers. And so what you should turn into is like, what are the channels that you can own? How do you create a moat for yourself? And to me, a moat, 
undisputably is the community that you build. And so you could do this as an influencer marketer, create your community, create your ambassadors, like whatever that is. And you own that communication, you own that channel. And so whenever you have a new product or you're ready to like really activate, you can just say, send a blast out and say like, hey, can you push this for us? Can you post about it? And especially if you have that uh, relationship starting out, especially as a small brand, you only can be a small brand once. And so take advantage of it. There's two other channels. So like another channel is email and SMS. So like growing your email list and SMS list, it's really hard for anyone to take that away from you. And then the third one is CRO, conversion rate optimization, just making sure that you really own your website and it it does what you want it to do. That's so good. And I also think there's such a case to be made for email marketing and SMS that's specifically for your ambassadors for your affiliates or whoever, really having targeted communication with them and sort of almost like thinking about them as this whole separate customer base, but you have a totally different relationship with them. Totally. Let's wrap up with two things. One is how do you see influencer marketing as a landscape changing? Because I feel like it just changes year to year with the platforms and with just things that become outdated or saturated or whatever strategies. So how are things changing? And then tell us about what you're working on. The biggest trend that I see shifting is on the brand side. Brands will start budgeting for influencer marketing in their P&Ls. And it's like something that they've always done for like meta ads. How much are they spending on ads? How much are they spending on Google? How much are they spending on like billboards or at-home marketing? And influencer marketing has kind of been in limbo. Is it like a social expense? Is it marketing expense? Who is taking this on? And so I've been seeing more brands higher for social. And so, yeah, I think it's going to be like a line item in their marketing budget where it wasn't before. And then also just thinking about the different shifts in the way like brands leverage content and like the big word these days is UGC. Phase one was brands producing their own content. And then phase two was brands using a collection of influencers to like fill their feeds with interesting content. The third wave is like a single person, like the face of a brand. Usually it is like a creator that turns into the brand's face. And the fourth phase that I think we're leaning into is it can go one of two ways. One is brands are working with celebrities to be the face of their brand, or they're creating celebrities of the face of their brands, which I I think is really cool. Like a weird example is Ryanair on TikTok. Everyone knows that like little face on the airplane, not even like a real, it is a real person. It's a celebrity in my mind. Like if I met the mascot, I would actually like fangirl a little bit. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's just like making sure that there's a bigger association to the person who's behind the content and like the actual brand itself too. That's such an interesting insight. I think Duolingo also does that really well on TikTok where you're humanizing the brand with this character and almost creating this narrative out of it. And even if somebody's not ready to buy your products now, they at least have an emotional attachment and investment in that narrative arc that you're developing with that character. So that's a really astute observation. Okay. So now tell us about what you're working on. Yes. Oh God, where do I start? Yeah. For the past few months, actually like two months, I've been going really deep into something that I'm calling good CPG. So it's my own little community of brands. What essentially it is, it's it's like a Robin Hood for commerce. So my goal is to share all of the biggest, craziest, 
most successful and also like not that successful strategies from brands that have the funding and investments to execute, break it down in actionable pieces and work with smaller brands, the good CPGs of the world so that they have a place to play with the bigger guys. Um, So that's done through like the community that I mentioned, also working on a marketplace so that smaller brands can acquire customers. And then also I I do a little bit of consulting too, in case a brand can't actually do it themselves, I help them out. Amazing. And if they want to be part of Good CPG, where can people find more information? The best place is just hit me up on Instagram. It's just good.cpg. And if you want to be a part of the community, just shoot me a DM. If you want to check out the marketplace or be a part of it, if you're a brand, shoot me a DM. And then also if I can be helpful, that's the best place to find me. Amazing. And I co-sign everything Sarah does because as you can tell, she is a wealth of knowledge. She really knows what she's doing. I mean, she has just been in this landscape for years and part of actually building it. So it's so fun to just hear all of this and get to pick your brain, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining today. Yeah, I had so much fun. Thanks, Dilma.